All right. Uh, like I said before, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 18. Um, we're going to be continuing talking about these seven churches in Asia. I guess we'll call today, uh, last week was part one of the churches of Revelation. Today would be part two. And uh, we, we discussed last week three of the different churches, the first three. Uh, of course, Ephesus, which we talked about was the religious church. They'd forgotten their first love. Uh, Smyrna, which was the persecuted church. And then we also finished up last week talking about Pergamos, which was the church that was, they had compromised. They were kind of, they were allowing some things to go on that didn't really need to be going on and some false doctrine and things, and it had to do with some money and different things. So we called them kind of the compromising church. So those were the, the first ones that we talked about last week. And today I want to talk to you about the church of Thyatira. Okay, and that's what begins to be mentioned here uh, in chapter 2 and verse 18. Now, once again, as we, we sang this morning and we saw uh, that uh, the Lord is in control. He is God alone. There is no other. Uh, we talk about that uh, at the beginning of Revelation. And so now the Lord is addressing His churches. There were, of course, seven churches there in Asia Minor. And uh, John had seen this vision and he said, uh, was told to John, I want you to... Write down what I tell you to write down, the things you see and the things you hear. Write them down and send them to these seven churches. And so he's talking specifically to these seven churches. And of course, last week we also talked that uh, it's not seven church ages like a lot of people teach. It's actually seven church conditions because we see every one of these conditions in the church world today. So Revelation 2 and verse 18. <clears throat> it says, And to the church and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these things says the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and His feet like fine brass. And if you'll notice, every time the Lord addresses one of these churches, He gives a description of what was back in chapter 1 of what John saw when he saw the Lord Jesus in His glorified state. And so He gives each one of them one of those little tidbits. And so right here in verse 18 He says, This is the Son of God. This is what I'm saying. And I have the eyes like a flame of fire and my feet are like fine brass. Now the church at Thyatira, what would we call it? Uh, I was thinking about it this week and last night I kind of settled on this name. Uh, we could describe it in a, a couple different ways, but I want to describe it to you as the polluted church. This was a church that was polluted and, and we're going to see in a moment why it was polluted. Now when something's polluted, it doesn't mean that there's not a little bit of good there. It just means that there's some bad there too and it's taken away from what the good is. You know, if you had a nice fresh drink of water, say in a cup or something, and it was pure fresh water, it'd be good to drink. Well, if it gets polluted with something, doesn't mean there's not still water. It just means that the water's not good anymore, not as good as it could be. So I want to talk to you today about the church uh, at Thyatira as being the polluted church. Now let's look at verse 19. I'm just going to, I had intended to do uh, two different churches this morning, but as I again began to put it together last night, there was just too much here to do uh, both of them. So we're just going to talk about this polluted church today. And we want to go verse by verse and, and point out some of the things that the Lord wants us to see. So verse 19 of chapter 2, he goes on now and he says now, he's beginning to, 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 to zero in on this specific church. He's saying that I know what's going on. And if you'll remember, last week he, he started out the address to one of the churches and said, I'm the one who walks among the golden candlesticks, the lampstands. So that means that when we gather together to have church in the name of Jesus Christ, He is going to be there and He knows what's happening. He knows what's going on and what's being said and what's whatever. So that's what He's beginning to say. Now He's going to zero in on this church at Thyatira. 
Verse 19, he says, I know your works, your love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Now, he begins to talk to him, and it's much like the church at Ephesus. He's seen what they had He'd seen the work they had accomplished and the things they were doing and the, and the patience and the long-suffering and everything. He'd seen all of those things and he was commending them for those. He said, I see that you've done these things. Then he also there at the end of verse 19, it says, and, uh, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. Now, a lot of people teach this and say that there was something wrong with that. I believe this was part of the commendation. Uh, I believe he was telling them that, you know, when you first began to be a church, you did a few things, but now the works you're doing, I see they're more than they were at the first. You're actually busy. You're doing things. You're accomplishing things. So I believe this was part of the commendation that he's seeing that from the time you started being a church to now, I see that works have increased and things have improved in that aspect of things. In verse 20, then he goes on to say that there's a major problem in the church at Thyatira. And we're going to see this is why it was polluted. It says, now remember, he's saying this to the angel of the church, which we talked to last week, because that's the pastor. He's speaking to the leader. Nevertheless, in verse 20, I have a few things against you in specific. And he goes on to say, because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now just a few things I'd like to point out there that I jotted down in verse 20. Notice the phrase, that woman. There are some manuscripts, some ancient manuscripts, the ones that they use to convert the Bible into the English, like King James, and there's different things. You know what those some of those manuscripts say? Instead of it saying that woman, they say your wife. So there are a lot of people who believe this woman in this church who God's calling Jezebel may have actually been the pastor's wife. We're not positive on that, so I'm not going to say it one way or another. But anyways, we do know there was a woman in this church who had been given a place of authority, and she was no good. Amen. So that woman, like I said, some of them says your wife. But anyways, whether it was his wife or not, we know that she was a woman in the church who was influential over her husband, just like her namesake. See, we have to remember, we're going to talk about in a minute, the reason that the Lord calls her Jezebel, I don't believe that was probably her real name. I just believe that that's how God recognized this woman, is to say, this is what you're acting like. This is the spirit that's controlling her, and that's for therefore that's what I'm going to call her is Jezebel. Okay, So that's what he's talking about when he calls her the name Jezebel. We have to remember, this is not some Old Testament prophet. This is not Moses. This is the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who said He walks in amongst the churches. He's saying, this is what I see going on in that church, that you've got a Jezebel in your church. Not a good thing. Just to, just to, to give you a, I'm sure most of you all know this, if the Lord likens you to someone like Ahab or Jezebel or King Saul or some of those people, you're not in good company. You want to change your ways real quick and get out of that kind of mindset and that kind of activity. So anyway, it's a woman in the church who was influential over her husband and the rest of the church. I just thought of this this morning or late last night. She possessed the power of persuasion and was evil just like Ahab's wife Jezebel was. You know, she had a way of being able to get her way. You go back and you read that story of Ahab and Jezebel. She got what she wanted. 
If she had to kill somebody to do it, if she had to destroy somebody to do it, she got her way. And so when God, the Lord Jesus Christ here, is calling this woman in this specific church a Jezebel, she had a way of getting what she wanted. And that's going to find out in a minute that this pastor, the Lord is upset with him for he said, you allow this. You're allowing this. He's saying, you shouldn't be allowing this. She turned the heart of her husband and the people toward false gods. That was the worst thing that Jezebel did in the Old Testament. She did a lot of wicked, evil things, but the number one thing God had against her was she turned the people into idol worship, and she turned her husband into idol worship, King Ahab, right? She came from that line of people who worshiped the Baals and the false prophets and in the false temples and all that stuff, and she brought that right into the kingdom of Israel. Jesus said, she's dwelling in your church. That wouldn't have been a, a real good message that when, you know, he, uh, he had to write it down. John had to write all this down. Then he had to send it out. Can you imagine being that pastor when that came? Hey, this is from the hand of John. It's exiled on the Isle of Patmos. This is what he said the Lord told him to tell you. When you read that, that hit you pretty hard, wouldn't it? It hit you pretty hard. The next phrase that's important there in verse 20, it says that she calls herself a prophetess. Because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. There's nothing worse than somebody trying to take authority over God's people who God has not given that authority to. She made herself a prophet. God didn't call her. If it was so, then the Lord Jesus Christ would have said here that I've called her, but she went astray. He said, she calls herself a prophetess, meaning I haven't called her. I haven't spoken to her. I haven't told her to tell you anything. I haven't told her to educate you on how to live the Christian life. She took this role on herself. That's a bad, bad person to be following. It's somebody that's pretending to be called by God. You're not fooling the Lord. They can fool some people. They can't fool the Lord because why? He knows all and he's walking right in the midst. Could you imagine him thinking, what is this that she's talking about? Who does she think she is? I haven't called her. The next part of that phrase, calls herself a prophetess to, and, she to, and you're allowing her to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things offered to idols. She led the people of the church to commit sexual immorality and eat food offered to idols in places of pagan worship. We talked about this last week. This was a very common thing in the early church world. They had to deal with this, that there really were still false temples and false religions going on where they offered animal sacrifices and food sacrifices to these pagan supposed deities. And Christians were told, you know, just stay away from them places. Don't get involved in all that stuff. But now here this woman was doing the exact opposite and saying, oh, it'll be okay. It's not going to hurt anything. It's not going to hurt anything, right? In these places of idol worship, it was common to engage in public acts of debauchery as part of the worship service. Now that's kind of beside us nowadays because we're a little more, I guess we call it civilized than that. But it's hard to believe, but it was really actually happening in those days that they went to church basically and then they would do this kind of stuff. And they thought that that was part of worshiping their God. 
And that's why it says to eat things offered to idols and to commit sexual immorality. She taught the people in the church that it was okay to go to those places and join in those ungodly practices. It's very possible, the Bible doesn't say it here, I have to wonder about it. It's very possible that she may have been trying to incorporate that stuff in the very church service there at Thyatira, I don't know. But one thing about it, she was definitely trying to lead people into that kind of stuff and had been doing it. She wasn't just trying, she was accomplishing it. Amen. The pastor here, <clears throat> excuse me, was rebuked because he allowed her to do these things. Notice the very key part. Verse 20, nevertheless, I have this against you because you allow. We'll find out in a moment that the pastor didn't really believe those things, but he was allowing it to go on. Because why? She had some form or fashion, a way of getting her way. She could get what she wanted. And the Lord didn't like that. He was unhappy with that. Amen? Amen. Moving on to verse 21. See, we have to, re we have to distinguish here this morning also, and we have to understand, the Lord's not talking to people in the world. People in the world wants to go to bars and clubs and engage in all this debauchery and stuff. They'll give their answer for him someday. And the Lord's not really all on top of that going to say, well, I'm just going to pour out wrath upon you because of this. We're talking about in the church. The church is supposed to be a holy place where people truly are trying to, to follow the Lord with all their ability. And so that's why the Lord here is so upset. I wanted to make that distinction. That he's not talking to people that didn't know better. He's talking to people that that knew the scriptures, knew the writings of Paul and Peter and all those guys. They already had all those things. And they knew what those apostles had taught them, that those things, you got to put that stuff away. So in verse 21, the Lord says to her, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. What does it mean when he says that I gave her time to repent? She'd been warned before. When the Lord says a statement like that, I gave you time to repent. I gave you time and opportunity to change your ways. So that means she knew better. It's one thing to not know better, right? If we truly don't know, then the Lord's very patient with us. He'll bring us along and teach us. But she knew and he said that to her. I gave her time to repent. So she knew what the apostles taught in the churches, but it strayed from their doctrine. This, statement's indi this statement indicates she already had been warned to repent but refused to do so. And the way I read this, this was her final warning. And if you know the Lord, like we all do and we read through the Scriptures, even in the Old Testament, He was very patient. He would warn and warn and warn and warn and warn and then warn again <clears throat> before He ever poured out judgment. Very important to remember about the Lord because there's a lot of people that says... Well, you're reading that book of Revelation. That seems like God's pretty mean. No, he's not mean. He's just run out of patience. That's all it means. When you see the vials of the wrath and the things going on later on, it's just because God's patience has, been, has run out. But he's very patient. And he's telling her this you last morning. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 22. You know, one more point in verse 21. And it says she did not... I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. That's a hard head, isn't it? That's rebellious. I know a person 
who was told to repent. Not that they were evil and committing sin and that kind of thing, but they were told there was something going on that they needed to repent, and they refused to repent, and they didn't make it a year, and they died unexpectedly. I'm telling you right now, like we talked a few of us before church this morning, you don't fool around with God's house. You don't fool around messing with God's servant, whatever, lies. You don't do those kinds of things. You just do it. God will not allow it to go on in his church. It might go on in the world. It might go on in the bars and the clubs and all this stuff. But in the church, God demands respect. Amen? Amen. So they refused to repent. That's stubborn. That's hard-headed. That's rebellious. That's what the Bible calls in the Old Testament being a stiff neck. To know the truth, but say, I know better and I can do better than that. I ain't listening to that. Shameful. Verse 22, now he begins to tell what he's going to do if she doesn't repent at this time. Verse 22 says, Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. It says that he was going to cast her and those who commit adultery with her. That means she wasn't going to escape. It wasn't just going to be packed off on the people that listened to her. First and foremost, she was going to be cast into a sick bed and into great tribulation. And also those who did these things with her. That would be those who followed her teachings and maybe were even engaging in actual physical fornication with her. We don't know the depths. Anybody that would go and, and worship a false god and then do those kinds of Un, unthinkable things in public it's hard to tell what they're doing in private we don't know but regardless of it the Lord says I want you to repent of this mess that this has to come to a stop in the sick bed and great tribulation what does that mean this came to me last night I had never thought of this this way and I'll share it with you for the sexually immoral or for the fornicator just let me let me give you this this background first I did a study one time, and you know that the Bible condemns sexual sins more than it does any of the others combined. wonder why that is. Why is it that people can say, well, you know, I know it's wrong to kill and to steal and to destroy, and I know it's wrong to deceive, and I know it's wrong to lie, and I know so all that. But then they'll turn around and justify sexual immorality or fornication. Well, we're in love. Don't tell me who I can't love. What On and on. But the Lord... Shuts that door. And he's very adamant about it. And it was going on in his churches there. And that's why he's saying, listen, I, this has to stop. This can't be part of your life. So this is what he's saying. For the sexually immoral, for the, for the, uh, the, the fornicator, the King James says, the bed is a place of sensual pleasure. Think about it. That's where these people do these things. In the bed. In the bed is where people ignore the Lord's commandment about adultery and rebel against Him. Here they defile themselves, and here they destroy families and bring shame upon themselves. They degrade their own bodies through the things they do with multiple partners, and on and on and on. So in the bed is where these things are enjoyed. It's where they find their gratification and their satisfaction, right? 
Even though it be momentary, that's where they find their most uh, uh, intimate times of pleasure and all those things is in the bed. But the Lord says, since that's where you like to enjoy things so much that are wicked and evil, I will bring you to the sick bed. The Lord has a way of handling every situation. The Lord says to them, since that's the case, the bed will also bring them pain and suffering. In the bed, they will suffer the pain of disease. Think about all of the sexually transmitted diseases that that's the only way they spread. You know, I heard a report one time that almost 90% of all AIDS cases are because of sex, sexually transmitted. Where did it come from? Where did this disease come from? Why does it seem to only be in, in, in these situations where people are just sexually immoral? Could it be the hand of the Lord? In the bed they will suffer the pain of disease. In their sick bed and tribulation they will have ample time to consider the cost of their sins and hopefully repent. Romans says this. I want to read this one verse to you. People think that the Bible is antiquated and it doesn't have any value anymore. They have done scientific research that most all homosexual males have a terrible health. They constantly wrestle with infections and all kinds of problems and just, just, just on and on and on and that's where most of the AIDS cases come from. Listen to this. For this reason God gave them vile passions, for even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. That's Romans 1, 26 and 27. The Lord says if you continue to do this, and to bring this debauchery and this kind of false doctrine into my holy church, this is going to be what's going to happen to you. I will cast you into the sick bed just like everybody else that engages in these things. So the bed was a place of pleasure, but the Lord tells them now the bed is going to be a place of misery and agony for you if you do not repent. The Lord is serious about His church. Amen. He's serious about His people. Amen. He absolutely is. Verse 23, <clears throat> he says, And, well not and, but it says, Unless they repent of their deeds. In verse 22, let's just read that again down into 23. Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. Isn't the Lord wonderful? He always gives you a chance. There's not going to be anybody that goes to hell that's going to say, I didn't have a chance. They're all going to have... Things show up and the Lord will show them. You had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to repent and you would not. The Lord is merciful and gracious that way. Verse 23, I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your works. What does it mean? I will kill her children with death. Literally, it means her offspring. This woman who continued to rebellious and defiant her children were in danger now children that don't know anything we're talking about her children that have grown up and doing the same things that she's been teaching them to do 
to the children that she taught and indoctrinated to be like her. These children grow up and commit the same sins as their ungodly parents and usually worse. Have you ever noticed that you've got people engaged in all kinds of ungodly things? They have kids and those kids grow up and guess what? They're worse than their parents. And then they raise kids the same way and then on down the track you look and you see, man, they just, they and people, somebody needs to introduce God into their life. They could change some of these bad things that's going on. Therefore, the Lord will bring judgment upon them as well. You know, Jezebel's son was killed after he became king, murdered. And by implication, the, ch- the word children there can also by implication mean her disciples, meaning those who follow her sinful teachings and example. They blindly follow her example and engage in sexual sins and will teach others to as well. <coughs> Excuse me. The Lord warns them to repent or He will cut them off through death. What does that have to do with us today? <clears throat> what does that have to do in the year 2020 in the American church right here in West Virginia, southern West Virginia, Lee Rona, where we're at? What does that have to do? Why do we need to read this? I'll tell you what's going on right now. There's a great apostasy going on right now in the American church. A falling away from true doctrine, not from the, not attending church. See, a lot of people talk for a long time that when it talks about a great falling away is coming, they thought it meant people just going to abandon God and quit going to church. I don't believe that's what it was talking about. I believe there's a lot of people still going to church, but they've abandoned true, real doctrine. And that's what the great falling away is. They don't listen to this anymore. They listen to people's opinions. They listen to people who write books and on and on and on and have uh, supposedly great learning and this, that, and the other. It doesn't matter how many PhDs we have. The most simple person can understand the Scriptures of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So there's that great apostasy that's going on right now. It's not a falling away. It's a falling away of true doctrine, not from attending church. Churches are beginning to allow the Jezebel spirit to hold authority in the church and teach that sexual immorality is okay. How many people have you heard of? They say, well, I can't go to church there because they're old school. They're kind of rigid. They, they, don't want, they, don't, they think that me sleeping around is a sin. And I want to find me somewhere to go where they won't say that to me and make me feel bad. It's happening more and more all the time. The Episcopal Church, I'm sure you've heard of those. We don't have a lot of those around here, but the Episcopal Church for a long time now has been ordaining homosexuals. Isn't that what the Lord here was rebuking this church for? Was that Jezebel spirit letting letting these people get up there and teach? It's okay. You, You can't help it. The Methodist Church. United Methodist Church. Now, there's a lot of those in our area. You you travel around in West Virginia, there's a lot of United Methodist Church. You know that they split. You may have heard. I don't know if you've heard or not. They're in the process of splitting right now. And the ones who are going to be allowed to to hold on to the name the United Methodist Church are the ones who are wanting to go liberal. They have split. They want to ordain homosexuals. They want to do all those things. And the rest of the people are going to have to leave and call their church a different name. It's happening right now. Isn't this the Jezebel spirit that has influenced these people to go this way with these sexual sins and things? 
And now I've been hearing, and it's been brewing for a couple of years, but they're saying it's really coming to a, a, a pretty good boil now. The Southern Baptist organization is going to end up splitting over this in the years to come probably because they've got leadership now that's saying, well, we've got to get with the times. We've got to progress, right? You hear all those words? You can't never progress away from this. This is tried and true, and it is God's holy word. He will not change it. Amen? So we see that this Jezebel spirit that was in the church of Thyatira is even in our midst right here where we're at today. There are two United Methodist churches, actually three, just between here and Athens. There's one right down in Lerona, one right up the road, and one in the town of Athens. They're all going to have to now make decisions their church boards or their pastors, however they have things set up, they're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to stay here and go along with this Jezebel spirit? Or am I going to have to call our church a different name and break away from all that? So you see, it's happening. It was happening in the beginning. It's still happening now. And the Lord's message is the very same. I'm not having it in my church. Amen. That's right. That's what he's saying. This is his church, and he's not going to have those things. Amen. Jesus is very clear. Fornication or sexual immorality in all its forms is sin. It is. We don't need to try to justify ourselves. Just It's what it is. The Lord says, no, can't do it. Don't do it. And if the Lord tells us to repent, we should repent. Amen. Verse 24. Now I say to you and to the rest in Thyatira, <clears throat> as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. I think it's important to point out, you know the Lord always distinguishes between the righteous and the unrighteous. This was a church gathering that had a lot going on, and he addressed them as a group, but then also as individuals, he come along and said, now, now, Nathan, I know you don't believe like that. and Sid and Sherry, I know you guys don't believe like that. So I'm not laying any more burden on you than that. I'm telling this to the people that I specified, right? That's the beauty of the Lord. See, man likes to just put, a, put in a judgment on everybody and just group everybody in the same group, right? You know, you remember in school and stuff, one person would be acting up and the whole class would lose their recess because of it. Or one kid would be cutting up and then everybody had to be quiet because of it. You see what I'm saying? But the Lord says, listen, I know who's doing right and I know who's doing wrong. And those of you that don't have this doctrine, I'm not going to put any other burden on you. And if you'll notice in verse 24, now to you I say, who? Who's he talking? Who is he specifying there? He's still now talking to that pastor. That pastor's still the one he's addressing. I know you don't hold this doctrine. I know you don't believe it's right. But you're allowing it to go on and it has to come to a stop. Amen? Amen. Verse 25. But hold fast what you have till I come. What does it mean to hold fast what you have? It means to do what you know to be right. Do what you know to be right. Continue to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ and His holy apostles. Continue to follow these words. I've not found an issue yet in my life that I cannot find the answer somewhere right here. Amen. 
So hold fast what we have. Notice the last part of that verse. Hold fast what you have. Till when? Till I come. He's coming. He's letting this church know. I've not changed my mind. I'm still coming. But I want you to do the right thing. And I want you to follow me and, and do what you're supposed to do. Until that day. What does that mean for a church? What does that mean for individuals? The same thing. Continue to follow the Word of God. Do the very best in your ability to live your life by and based upon the Word of God. Amen. Verse 26, And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. What does it mean to overcome? Why is he telling this church? We talked about it last week. That all seven churches, that's one of the things he tells all seven churches, overcome. And this church had a little different thing to overcome than the other ones, right? This church was going to have to overcome this woman trying to teach a sexual immorality. She was teaching them, oh, it's okay to give in to your desires. It's, it's okay. As long as you come to church and still put on a show, it's okay. They were going to have to overcome that. Because if you notice that human beings have a way that we always degrade. <laughs> if we're left to ourselves and start listening to the wrong voices, we always go to the negative part of things, don't we? So that's what they were going to have to overcome. They were going to have to overcome this woman's voice. They were going to have to overcome the people who'd been indoctrinated by her and were going to get mad when this pastor addressed this situation. See, this pastor was going to have to address it. I don't know whether he did or not. I'm, I'm assuming he did. But when he did, I'm sure some people got mad and left that church. I'll guarantee it. Because they said, well, no, this is what we believe and we don't believe like you do, right? So they were going to have to overcome a lot of things because of this woman Jezebel and because of what he was going to have, how he was going to have to address it. So overcome their own sensual desires and overcome this woman telling them, oh, it's okay, just go ahead and give in to it. Overcome false teachers with a Jezebel spirit who will lead us astray. There's a lot of voices. And it's my obligation to tell you that they use a lot of fancy words to trick you. They call it progressive. Getting with the times. You've heard these things. You hear them on the news. You hear them in the newspaper. You hear them out talking to people. Well, I'm progressing. I'm blah, blah, blah. No. Left to ourselves, we'll end up going the wrong way. But when we follow this word, we're headed to heaven. Amen. <clears throat> he who overcomes and keeps my works. What does that mean? I, I just I, I wanted to draw that out this morning. And I know that we're getting close to, to the end, but this, this, is, this is the last point that I really wanted to make. What does it mean, keep my works? I jotted this down last night as well. Let our works and actions be those that Christ commands. Look how it's worded. He who overcomes and keeps my works until the end. Let our works and actions be those that Christ commands. Let these things be what define us. Don't let my sinful activity be what defines me. Don't let me go out here and destroy my family through, through adultery and stuff and let that be what people remember. I know a lot of people who, who started well in, in Christianity, even preachers sometimes. 
And they did all kinds of good. They preached and people were saved and, and they did a lot of good for the kingdom. But you know what people remember now? Was that they messed up and they had adultery and they had affairs and they had children out of wedlock with somebody else. That's what people remember. That's what he's talking about here. Let's not let these things be what define us, but let's keep the works of Christ. Let those be the things that define us. Amen? I will give him power over the nations. Verse 27, He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed in pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. And then in verse 9, is this one other thing that he says to every single one of those churches? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. So this church was polluted. They were allowing this Jezebel to teach and seduce people that it was okay to worship idols and to commit sexual immorality. And the Lord Jesus said, listen, if this doesn't stop, I'm going to cast them all into a sickbed. Her and the ones that's doing it with her. And then they're going to learn what it's like to disobey me. So we see the importance of not being a polluted church. I don't think we have that issue here. I believe every, all of us believe about the same. But we have friends and family who are starting to drift. I'll just be honest about it. They're starting to be influenced by this Jezebel spirit. And they'll say, well, you know, I don't really see a problem with it. It's not about what you see a problem with. It's what about the Lord of the church? The head of the church has spoken to the church at Thyatira and has said, no, not going to be allowed. Amen? Amen. <coughs> Let's pray this morning. Father, we come to you once again here this morning as we get ready to close. God, we have read the warnings here to the church of Thyatira and may we always heed these warnings. Lord, we feel like that right now that we, we're not in this situation. We're not in this uh, situation that this church was in. But Lord, it would be very easy to drift. We pray, Lord, for our brethren that's uh, throughout our communities that, Lord, may be going to churches that do have a Jezebel spirit in charge, that are teaching people it's okay to commit sexual immorality and, and, to, and to worship false gods or whatever it may be. Lord, we pray for our brethren that their eyes would be open this day, not tomorrow, not next week, not through some great revival, but right now as we pray. Open their eyes, Lord, to see what you said to this church and said that these people must repent. It wasn't you ready to cast them away. You wanted them to repent and change their ways. So, Father, we pray that in Jesus' name. If we have friends and family uh, that may be in this situation that are drifting, maybe they're drifting away and maybe they're starting to, to listen to the lies of Jezebel, we pray, God, that you reveal the truth right now to them, that they might see that they're being led astray. And we ask it, Lord, today in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for each and every person gathered here. Keep our minds stayed upon you. Keep our hearts fixed, Lord, and open to hear from you and to listen to your word like it was said here in the scripture. Lord, may we keep your works until the very end. May we do the things you've asked us to do and live our lives the way you've asked us to live until you return again, whenever that may be. Help us to be faithful unto you and unto your word and to your church. We ask these things in Jesus' name. We pray, God, you keep each and every person safe. Protect us as we go about our life this week and, and bring us again until the next appointed time, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.